All right, podcast number 11. Yes, we're into the double digits. Sorry, it's been a while. I say this every time. Of course, we've been busy. This podcast is about Grimp Day, where we just were. Just spent uh, almost a month in Europe doing some training with some friends over there, and of course, training for and attending Grimp Day. Now, we've had a lot of requests to give some feedback or some information about Grimp Day. So, for better or for worse, here it is. So first of all, Grimp Day. It is primarily a competition. It is a good competition. You share ideas. We've made friends and learned skills that we would not have otherwise been able to learn or friends we would have not otherwise been able to make. We've trained with people now literally around the world. We've gone to places we would have never gotten into. We've done confined space rescue in the depths of old forts in Belgium. We swung from helicopters in Germany. You know, just things we just would not have done. We picked up some great new techniques. These have been pushed into our teaching out to our clients. The other thing about Grimp Day, it's basically as real life as you can get without actually hurting someone and doing a real life rescue. It is all live victim. There is no dummies involved with this. It is all live. It is all on rope. And it is a lot of it at height. Some of it up to 300 feet, 100 meters in the air. Mistakes are costly. There have been mistakes. They've changed the event over the years to add more safety into it because of some of the errors that have occurred. And, you know, there's still testing out how that looks. We've been attending now for six years. This was our sixth year. We've placed between as high as fifth, as low as 22nd. Now, Grimp Day itself, when we first started going, was a one-day event. It is now a two-day, and this latest rendition was a three-day event. The first year was six scenarios in one day. Years two through five, five, I guess, would be the best way to look at it, was a two-day event with five scenarios a day, so 10 total. This year was three days with one scenario on the Thursday, and then four on Friday and four on the Saturday. Now, each one of these stations or these scenarios can be a ways apart. You may have to drive between them, On average, setting my watch, I walk on an average of 10 kilometers per day every day we do Grimp Day. So that's 20 kilometers over the course of the two-day event. This year was a bit different because it was just a drive in and out for the one scenario on the Thursday. You carry all your gear with you. There is no backup vehicle. There's no second response truck coming to help you with this. We've been carrying our Terex Card 45 packs with our ropes. We've got MPDs, Kootenai Carriage, some other rigging stuff in there. And everything else, 12, 15 carabiners, rigs or IDs, Janes, whatever else you want to look at, is all strapped to our harness. And that's out with us as we move. So you're going 10K with weight per day. A fitness regime is kind of required if you want to do this event. Now... The gear gets inspected every year. You, this year, we had to sign a letter of conformity. In years past, it's been inspected. You have to bring gear that's certified in Europe or 
certified in the area where you come from. So coming from North America, we actually have a bit of an, uh, um, a benefit from that. Sorry, we can use NFPA gear. It is certified in our jurisdiction. If you're a European team, using straight NFPA gear is a non-starter. We can also use CE gear because we are playing in Europe, which means we are allowed to use their standard. So all in all, we have the ability to use gear from either location. Now, the other great thing about Grimp Day, I talk about this sharing of ideas. I won't say who the team is. If they're listening, they'll know who they are. One of the years they showed up not long ago, maybe three, four years ago, they didn't finish the course. There's teams every year that do not finish the course. I'm speaking primarily to a North American audience when I say this. I've spent decades in the fire service. I'm not trying to badmouth the North American fire service. Our year one, we did it too. We did the event. We were a little slow. We did it within time though, like right on the numbers. And then we stopped, we high-fived, had some water, sat around, smoked, joke. You get the idea. Meanwhile, other teams are running to the next event. We're kind of going, nah, we'll get there. And we were lucky to finish all the events year one because of that. So there is, you know, teams that do not finish this. If you can't complete a task, you're just pulled off the course. That's just the way it is. So you can fail this task. I use fail, I'm on a way tangent here, in a very loose term, because to go and even try this, to compete at this, is a difficult thing to do. Now back to the team I was talking about. Three, four years ago, they got a did not finish. They pushed through that, and they came in top 10 this past rendition. They went back, they learned things, they redid things, and this is what Grimp Day is about. Not so much about their placement at Grimp Day. I would take any team that goes to Grimp Day and put them head to head with most rescue teams around the world. They are good teams that compete there. But you think about the skill set that was raised in these people's home country and hometown. They came out of Grimp Day now in a top 10 position and the skill set and the knowledge of their local teams, the benefit that their local community has gained from their skill set increase is immeasurable. So that is the true grandiose idea of Grimp Day and that's just the, the best thing you can take out of this. Now in regards to Grimp Day, from a North American team, we are certainly slower than European teams. When we started, we've changed the way we've rigged to try to be more on pace. And some examples of this, we use more prussics here in North America. And I'm speaking generally. I mean, I'm speaking with the fire services that I know around here, the mountain rescue teams that I know around here. I'm West Coast Canadian based. Our Kootenai Highline systems, things like this. In Europe, for example, most of the Grimp schools or the rope rescue schools, you come out of there basically at an IRATA level one, give or take. That became very apparent this year. There was two horizontal traverses. Most of our guys have a level one Sprat ticket, as most of you are aware, level one Sprat does or does not, depending on where you take it, include a horizontal traverse. That is standard play in Europe for coming out of Grimp school. 
So their individual rope access skills are certainly higher than ours. And because their rescues are more rope access based, it has a tendency of moving a little bit faster. I don't think anybody out there will have the argument with me that rope access is faster than rope rescue traditional fire service. It's just a fact of life. So yes, we had to change the way we did certain things to do this. So we did things like we dropped prussics. We still bring them. We use them when we're running tension lines. If we want to run an anchor in a certain spot in that tension line, we'll triple or quadruple wrap and then basket the end, the prussics on those double lines in order to get a fall line that we want. So we still bring them. We use them as anchors. The stuff we're using is 40KN in an anchor configuration, but we're not using them really as grabs and or um, belays anymore. <clears throat> we... Uh, the mechanical advantage rope, when you're tightening a Kootenai Highline system, the old W, everybody here that's done Kootenai Highline systems knows what I'm talking about with your W, you put your two to ones on the line, you usually pull on that with your three to one, you get your six to one mechanical advantage. Not done in Europe. They rig to IDs, they do not use high strength tie offs, they use eights predominantly, they throw a three to one on there, a couple guys will get on it, pull it till it slips through their hands, move to the next one. From some of the evidence I've seen in Europe, statistics on this, they're getting about 50 Newtons difference. 50 Newton, not kilonewton, Newton. Difference between those lines with the same guys pulling at them with the same strength, etc., so forth. They don't view that as enough of a difference to bother with making this W mechanical advantage to pull both lines at the same time. Right, wrong, I'm not going to debate that today. I'm simply giving you the, if you're a North American and you want to play at Grimp Day, these are things you're going to have to take into consideration. Because you think about it, a new Petzl Rescue Center, I can throw that thing on and off in what? Five seconds? Say a Prusik takes me double say it even takes me 10 i'm running tw- you know 10 scenarios over two days say i tie five of them a scenario all of a sudden that is time that i am losing and yes the points are that tight the fifth year we competed teams one to three had three points between them three points between first and third and 50 points between first to 10th That's how tight this competition has gotten. So yes, adding five seconds over five times for 25 seconds over 10 scenarios is 250 seconds. That is the difference, ladies and gentlemen, between first and fifth in our year five. And I do make some differentiations between our year five and our year six because the sponsorship changed and the judging changed. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, some of the other stuff, if you want to go play over there, get rope access trained. We started year one, I think there was two of us that were rope access trained. By year two, everybody had at least level one sprat. At this point, after this last year, we have now made the decision everybody will have to go to at least level two. Rescue from ascent, um, you know, rebelays, like climbing through rebelays, which is a level one skill, but some of the ways they're doing it over there, if you see it, there is some level two skill in there, horizontal aid. These are definitely things that are in the level two billywick that we need our people to get onto. I'm talking specifically Sprat, not dual cert or IRATA here. Once again, West Coast of Canada, we predominantly play with the Sprat environment. 
edge transitions. Nail your edge transitions. You're going to be dealing with parapet walls, predominantly a sandstone up on the citadel, 90 degrees with no high point a lot of times. We've even rigged high lines over there with no high points. Real like dirt rigging, high lines in the ground kind of thing. So your edge transitions have to be dialed. A lot of people there, once again, the rope access background, having two guys over the edge, like committed on lines, helping with that edge transition is common. It's not quite as common in North America to see guys over the edge in play, helping with that edge transition. We have a tendency of playing pike and pivots, reverse pike and pivots on lowers, pikeazontals, to quote my ART friends down in the States. It takes time. Time is a factor in Grimp Day. We will talk about how this is scored in a little bit, but time certainly comes in. So you have to decide what you're doing. And back to my first comment about this whole thing. Grimp Day is a competition. It is a good competition. You share ideas. It's the best real life I've seen, to paraphrase, but it's a competition. So, rescuers over the edge for time. Edge transitions. I'll talk about some of the events I've seen at Grimp Day. 300 foot lowers, where you have three 90 degree edge transitions into about 30 degree vertical walls spaced in between slope rescue from 30 to 50 degrees. So imagine you start on your 90 degree edge, you go down 30 feet, you might cross a road, you might get into a 50 degree slope, back over a 90 degree edge, back onto like a 30 degree slope, back over a 90 degree edge to the bottom, total distance 100 meters or 30, or sorry, 300 feet. So being able to do things, you know, move, maneuvering your basket, running those edge transitions, especially with a limited amount of people, become a skill set. Uh, when I talk about the rope access involvement this year, 40 meter climb passing a rebelay on the main into a 15 meter traverse, horizontal traverse, into passing three tie in points on the main, safety runs free, going into a 40 meter rappel, passing a knot on the way down. For North American Sprat, that's pretty much level two skill sets. So if you want to go play over there, that's the kind of individual rope skills you will need. When you start getting into team-based stuff, high lines, Kootenai high line systems, like I said, they don't use the high strength tie-off, they don't use the same tensioning systems we do, but every year we'll at least have one high line. They're really cool, they're usually over moats, things like this. A lot of it though is dirt rigging. They don't use a lot of high points in the competition they have. But on high lines, I've built at least three that were on the ground running them. So you're flipping your stretchers upside down, finding other ways to try to keep your ropes on the ground, or you're sawing them through dirt, throwing down canvas, whatever. So those are things to think about. Um, pickoffs, pickoffs from ascent, pickoffs from descent. One of our fellas last year, 75 foot climb. 
climbing the rescue, the, sorry, the patient's mane. So what they were doing was simulating single rope technique. They had ASAPs on a safety line. The safety line was only there for the ASAP. So doing the traditional climb your safety, line transferring from a, your rescuer, line transferring your patient from ascent into you doing the rappel. No, you're climbing the same line. What we learned after the fact is the crawl-to-crawl bump caving technique used widely in Europe, that's taught in level one grimp school over there. Climbing up, doing the crawl-to-crawl bump, that's a rescue, a method of rescuing a, a patient from ascent above you, is common play there. Do they rig the competition for a bit of hometown advantage? Absolutely, wouldn't you? But as well, I mean, that's one way to look at it. You could say, wow, they're rigging it for hometown advantage. I look at it as there's a skill set that I don't have in my pocket. That's one that, okay, we did the typical, we're going to go above them, set something up, lift them out. The other thing with this is, of course, they ran the guy's crawl right into a deviation anchor above them. So clipping above him started trying to drag him through the deviation. So it was a bit of fun, you know, running your MAs, making it work for us. We did it. You also had 20 minutes to complete this task. Five minutes to climb, make access to the patient, 15 minutes to get him down on the deck, or you got zero for the event. Some teams just didn't do it. They took the zero. They said, you know what? We're okay with that. Us, we said, skip it. We're there. Yes, it's a competition, but we're there to learn. And if you, if you don't go in with the have fun and take stuff away attitude, you're going to get frustrated and you're not going to have a good time. And a lot of this is, you're, you're on a trip to Europe. This is like adult rescue daycare camp, you know, for grown adults. Um, it's a really cool club. And you go there and you learn these things. And if you're going to close out and not learn what other people are doing or how they're doing tricks and skills, you're going to miss a really important part of Grimp Day. So some of the other stuff we've taken away. Double reeve high lines. Once again... Prussics, not used wisely, why, wisely, wrong word, widely over there. And so how do you run the high line? The Europeans were really suspicious, might be the best word, of our high line system the first year because we're running the Prussics on the bottom of the Kootenai, on the English Reeve, sorry, on the Kootenai high line system. And trying to have a conversation that this is safe when you're speaking two different languages during competition, when stress is already ramped, usually just leads to some sort of yelling or intervention from somebody else. It's a lot easier to rig systems that everybody can just look at and go, yes, I can see the redundancy in that. We looked over at the Germans one year, Berlin. I, I know the guys from Berlin. I'll give it to you right now. We looked over to them and went, wow, they're running two Reeve lines. Like just head explode. Would I do it here? Absolutely. It's redundant. It's safe. We rig it now in no greater time than it would take to rig an English Reeve with Prussics. And to give you an example, the year we placed fifth, we rigged and operated a Kootenai Highline system across a 100-foot gorge, dropped a person with a uh, patient, rescuer and patient, in a basket stretcher on an English Reeve onto an X, which was about 40 feet below us. So move them over, drop them on the X. We had that rigged and operated in 32 minutes. So 
saying, okay, I'm adding a sixth line in, two track, control either side, two reeve, is costing me time. No, the arguing with the officials over whether a pressic will work or not will actually take more time. And looking at it, it's smooth rigging. It's nice. I always say in this, neatness counts. And over there, it really does. Because there's going to be someone that doesn't speak your language looking at your system. And if they can't figure out what you're doing, there's going to be the big timeout called. And for safety checks, they do stop the clock. But it throws the groove of the team out, right? Like the, the groove kind of, that, that everybody that rigs rescue gets this. There's that groove you get into as you go. It throws that out the window for you. Frustration gets in, turns things a little ugly on the rigging side. It's nice to have it clean. So one of the takeaways there, moving the basket, your basket has to be able to move from horizontal to vertical and back to horizontal multiple times during events. Some of the skill sets uh, or some of the events that we've run that require that skill set, they had a crab trap, things about 10 feet long, circular, think like a caged manhole size crab trap, cylindrical looking thing hanging on a wall. Lower the rescuer through it, pick up your patient. Patient has to come off the ground horizontally and has to finish horizontally. Obviously needs to move vertically to get through that system. So once again, you must have the ability to move your stretcher package from horizontal to vertical, back to horizontal, or vertical to horizontal and back to vertical. So running it, we run Purcell's top, Aztec to the feet to give us that. Some people... Um, one of the German teams is a very nice counterbalance unit. The Welsh one year grabbed some sailing stuff that allowed that to occur. But being able to manipulate that package is a requirement of Grimp Day. A few other things for North America. TTRS is widely used. Whether it be on ID or MPD, TTRS systems, twin tension rope systems are understood over there. There is more prevalence of IDs. You are in Europe. Petzl is uh, rock throw away in France from this competition, which is in Namur, Belgium, if I, sorry, I haven't mentioned that. And so <clears throat> there is a lot of Petzl influence into that competition. We were the only team using MPDs the first year we showed up. London Fire were using them the year after that. Pretty much most, I'd say 50 to 60% of the teams have at least two MPDs now with them in the event. Once again, because you're hauling hit, kit with you between events, we're running five. Every person is carrying an MPD with them. And you're thinking, big deal. You run 20 kilometers with pack for two days and run rope rescue, you know, run two kilometers with all your kit, then ascend 40, then traverse 15 and repel 40. Some of those events, not that one, but I have rappelled down cliffs with my pack on. I have ascended slightly parts up cliffs. There's a picture on our Facebook page of one of our lads last year climbing. It was only a 10 or 12 foot wall. He's got two card 45s, each with 300 feet of rope and two MPDs, one in each, on him while he's ascending rope. So, I mean, all of a sudden, weight counts. It's like my days in the army, you know, when you're like throwing the extra pair of socks out, even if it's just mental. It's like, yeah, I'm lighter now. Woohoo, I can move faster. But yeah, everybody is carrying a couple MPDs. A lot of times rigging their um, 
heavier loads to them. If you're doing slope rescue and guys are putting maybe three people on that load, the rig in the end of their high lines to them, easy to tighten, easy to release. Those things where you want that friction in there. The MPD, however, too, um, check out our Facebook page. There is a video on there. We managed to get an MPD hot enough to boil water off of. Um, 31, 32 degree ambient temperature. We are doing 130 meter lower. So let's add almost 400 feet. Um, and so, yeah, we were putting a lot, two person load. So 2KN is in our time or our manner. So, yeah, we definitely do work gear at this event. So consistency, now we get into the scoring and the rules and the marking. And this is where the discrepancy comes in in Grimp Day. And I will go back and say, this is a great event. I I truly believe it. We go every year. We're not not going. And there's things to learn out of this both ways. This is not a bad mouth of Grimp Day. So the rules as they read are you must maintain beyond two lines at least 10.5 millimeter as per Belgian law. You must, you and your patient, rescuer patient, anybody over the edge, they use the word security as safety, so you'll see that a lot in the, the write-ups about stuff with them. But for security, you must be on two points of attachment at all times. And this is where things have a tendency of going sideways. I'm going to read the Facebook post I wrote, and I'm going to break it down a bit. For North Americans wondering about Grimp Day, have a read. Please don't take take any of this as criticism. It's just Grimp. Slight tangent here. You should almost make a shirt that says, stay calm. It's Grimp Day. Guys that compete this, girls that compete this are going to know what I mean. So also remember, Europeans tend to be more laissez-faire than us North Americaners, or perhaps we're too uptight. There's comment that can be made on either side of that. So there may be more result shuffling as pictures come out with teams skirting the rules. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Euros call that reading between the lines. We North Americans have a tendency not to do that. Just drive over there for a day and you'll see how that works. So we obtained 549 points. Tasks were 50 points for tasks for rigging and 55 points per task for time. We obtained 440 out of a possible 450 points on rigging over nine scenarios. We lost basically one point on rigging per scenario. We get tons of compliments on our rigging. It's clean, it looks good. People take photos of our rigging a lot, but it takes time. So there's a picture I posted on Facebook. The picture is a single sling around pillars. So they've made, there's pillars on either side. They're about, I'm gonna call it eight feet apart. They've wrapped a single sling around the pillar into a single strand of Dyneema that's V'd down to about 120 degree angle. And they've clipped a rig plate on there with a single, um, uh, sorry, stainless steel carabiner. So that's what I'm talking about when I say, look at picture number two. The rigging would not fly in North America. It's not redundant. In Europe, it seems okay. They're using a steel carabiner and in France, and in some other places, you don't have to back up a steel carabiner. 
So while we couldn't rig that way in North America, they can rig that way in some of the countries they come from. However, the rules state you must be on a redundant system, two points of attachment. Now, does your rules like your gear trump the local rules? That's a conversation that's kind of up to debate. So they have three lines that are rigged into one stainless steel anchor, basically. The stainless steel anchor is holding on to a Petzl Sazen rig plate. They have three lines rigged into that rig plate. But now think about the scoring. Even if we added another sling in there, that takes time. Remember, 50 points are for rigging, 55 points are for time. They have a number that they don't tell you that is a time limit for that event. Every five minutes that you're over that time limit, you lose five points out of your possible 55 on time. So say that particular event, they figured you could do it in 37 minutes. So if you go to 42, you just went to 50 out of 55 points on time. So even if your rigging's perfect, you're losing points on time. So now this brings up this question, and this is the question of Grimp Day. That's very hard for us in North America to wrap our head around. And here's why I pick up my reading. I respect the Euros and that patient access in the golden hour are everything to them. And and they will sacrifice, in our mind, safety for it. Is there a balance we can agree upon? Who knows? That might be one of those rescue unicorns. So I'm not going to read the rest of the post. If you're interested, it's on our Facebook page. However, this is it. I've spoken previous podcasts. If you read some of my blogs, speed versus safety. I've, I've been around this topic before and it comes out here. I mentioned that one rescue that NC did in the cathedral that year. There's some great pictures of it up on our sites too. Got 20 minutes to complete that. We did a rescue from a slack line once here. That's one time they did use a dummy. So sorry, they have, I lied. They have used dummies before. They had a dummy hanging in the midst of a slack line. You had to run around, check both anchors, come up, clip in with two beaners, get out there, set two lines, rappel down, pick off that dummy from a static lanyard, rappel to the ground. Then you swap them out for a patient to do your medical scenario because there is usually a medical scenario every year as well where you have a nurse or a doctor overseeing your priority action approach and your skills. However, back to that, you had six minutes to do that. So there is time in here. And the Europeans, they are access the patient. There is someone over that edge almost immediately on an ID and an ASAP wrapping themselves down there to make patient contact now. That is a paramount of their training. And getting that person back up into the back of an ambulance so they can get to the hospital within an hour is in their head drilled. It is not drilled like that to us in North America. It it really isn't. I've been to multiple schools. I'm not going to list them all off. But that idea of the golden hour, it's mentioned, but it is not drilled into our heads like it is over there. And I'm not saying this is right and we're wrong or we're left and they're yellow. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you look at Grimm, you have to think about the tasks as they're organized by the people that are organizing them. And they're organized by Europeans 
who this is drilled into their head. You come to North America, I'm going to set up a scenario the way I know how to set up a scenario. You go to Europe, they're going to set up a scenario the way they know how to. I mean, that's the primary differences between living in North America and living in Europe. They drive differently. They speak differently. They do rescue differently. And there's, I think, great things that can be learned from both parties. Where we and other teams have these difficulties is, I mean, I speak to the Germans. They rig very similar to North America. I speak to the guys out of the UK, the girls out of the UK. They rig similarly to North America. You speak to people out of France, and they view two 10.5 millimeter lines as overkill. (laughs) So, you know, you can't just look at it from a North American point of view and go, wow, we should be out there with two 12.5s, which, by the way, we don't use at Ronin, but, you know, two 12.5 millimeter ropes to make sure this sucker's going to last for 40KN the whole way around, because that's one side of the equation. The other side is you have teams coming there that go, why can't we use nine? One strand of it, right? Like, and we're trying to find, and I think they're doing a great job of trying to find that middle ground. You have to use two, at least 10 and a half millimeter ropes. You've got to be on two points. But like I said, this comes into it. In some countries, stainless steel carabiners considered non, you don't have to back it up. It is redundant. North America, that doesn't fly. But now you go, so is that two points or not? You can argue it both ways. I can look at it and go, physically, that's not two points. They turn around and argue and go, we don't care because where we come from, it is. And let's back the bus up. How many people here back up a rig plate? Silence, probably. I know some teams here in North America do. They'll stack smaller rig plates for redundancy. Some people will run, (laughs) easy for me to say, run a sling through it. But really, how many teams back up rig plates? Right? And they look at this stainless steel will not move travel in the system carabiner the same way. There are some discrepancies, though, that you would call out. They've had people go on their ASAPs upside down. To me, you're on one point. So should you lose time? Well, you gain time because your ASAP's flying down this thing. Should you lose rigging points? Should you just be eliminated from that, get zero across the board, you're on one point of attachment? These are questions I think that the organizers need to look into a little bit more. And it's tough. I mean, I've met with the people that run Grimp Days. I've looked at the way they do the events. And you think about it. There's usually a lead per event. And then there's safety staff. So if if scenario five is we're going to do this... uh, you know, lower off of a building, low point edge transition. We're going to do a touch and go and bring them back up for time. All right, you've got one person leading that. So we've got, you know, five different stations of that scenario. And you're going to have safety staff at all of those stations. So we've got six people now standing there. You're going to have some safety staff down on the bottom. You're going to have a controller externally come in with that team. So there's now conservatively 13, 14 people there that all need to be on the same page and they have to be on the same page for every single team that rotates through that stand. That's tough to do. And it's that consistency that I think causes some of the concerns around Grimp Day. Team X did Y, team B, or, you know, sorry, team A does X, team B goes to do X and they're told that they can't because there's that discrepancy in the consistency. 
This is an event. This is a sporting event. World Cup's on right now. Go watch the refing. Depending on who you're cheering for on certain games, you're either throwing stuff at the television or cheering with your Jack and Coke. It depends on what side of the equation you sit on with this. And every sport out there that has some sort of subjective nature to it has this problem. I mean, look at figure skating. They had to change the entire event around. Yes, you're sitting here going, we're on a rescue podcast talking about figure skating, tangent, why? Um, Subjectivity certainly comes into play. I don't know how to get rid of it. What do you do? Bring in every controllers the day beforehand and try to lay out this specific set of rules? Sure, you do that. But once again, you've got teams from Asia. You have teams from Eastern and Western Europe. You've got a team from North America. You had a team from South America one year. I may come in and look at a, at a scenario totally different than someone else. Case in point, we had to do this touch and go one year. Rigged anchors, they had three bolt hangers in the wall on a parkade on like the fifth level. You operated from the fourth, up and down, straight time event sort of thing. Most of the European teams rigged a pitch head hall. You got your rope access influence coming in. Our team built a four to one and ran a ASAP on a safety line. Confined space rescue North American style coming in. Of course, all these people are looking at us and you can kind of see that 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 streak in their head. We killed it on time in that one. It wasn't something that even crossed their mind that somebody would rig it that way. Didn't even cross their mind when they made the scenario. But it's the same thing now when you look at controlling that scenario. So even if you took aside all of the players and said, okay, this is what we expect people to do. This is the points you're going to look at. And in comes this team from Vancouver and they build a four to one. Hang on, my, my marking sheet's out the window now because these guys did something I never even expected to see done. And it works the same way when we're over there. We look at some of the scenarios and go, how the hell are we going to do this? Because we're not thinking in their mindset. And that's the most difficult thing. Petzl is no longer sponsoring the event. Courant is. They did a great job this year. My shout out to them. They are a 25-employee company. They ran an event with 36 teams over three days on three different terrain locations, basically, throughout two cities, three cities, I guess, in reality, around Namur, Belgium. My hat's off to you. It is a tough thing to do. I still love the event. For the complaints I have about that consistency, and like I said, I understand why it's not consistent. I've run scenarios here. I've run mine rescue scenarios where teams come and they do something. You're like, well, there goes that marking sheet. It's tough. I get that. It's still worth going. If you're a North American team, come on, come on over, compete with us, not against us, with us. It's one of these things. What you take away, the friendships you learn. We brought in some folks from Harkin this year to compete with us on the team. There's lifelong friendships made, not just within the team, but within the competition, the competitors you're with. You learn so much. You gain so much out of these events. It is certainly worth doing. Of note, Taiwan's had an event. Jay, don't shoot me. You're in year three or four there. China starting their first event this year. These are great events to go and learn. You will learn. 
There's no two ways about that. You will be better for doing it. And at the end of the day, if you look at what I started with about sharing ideas, and it's the most realistic rope rescue you'll do without actually throwing a dude off on a fall protection line from the side of the building, because they basically do that, bar none, there's no other place to go and get that kind of experience. So that's Grimp Day. I thought this was going to be a quick podcast. I'm running almost 40 minutes. Till next time.